The sermon text reading this morning is coming from Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so I know that last week I stood before you and I said, hey, we're starting our core values series next week. You're saying, wait a minute, that looks a lot like Mark. And you're right. You're right. And so we're punting a couple weeks on that because we still have so many people traveling. With staff, we talked about it this week. And so welcome back to Mark after like three or four months. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to be in for a couple weeks, and then we're going to be back out of it again for this core value series that we're going to do in, in August. But we're back in it at least for the next two weeks. And we're picking up. And so remember, when we stopped uh, just a few months ago, it was at the end of the first half of Mark. And so now we are picking up on, on the back end, as it were. And Jesus is on his way uh, from a little bit further north of the Sea of Galilee. He's now back in Capernaum. And and so the disciples begin to have a conversation about something very interesting, greatness. What is greatness, right? Now I'm wondering, how would, you, how would you answer that question today in 2023? Like, what is greatness, right? And so just for kicks, I, I googled uh, the, the phrase, the pursuit of greatness. 9.2 million returns in like 0.33 seconds. Yeah, and let me tell you, I didn't go through them all, I didn't have time. But there's no consensus on what greatness is, right? No surprise there. Everyone's got their definition. Everyone's got their idea. But let me tell you, it matters how you define it. And it matters how you live it, turns out. You see, one of two things will happen depending on what you do with greatness. Either you will create dignity for yourself and for other people through greatness, or you will damage and destroy other people, and yourself through greatness. It matters where we go with this. And Jesus, being Jesus, has a great opportunity to teach on what is greatness. I want you to join me on this because it matters for our lives. And so this morning what we're going to look at here is we're going to ask the question, why do we pursue greatness? Because we do. So why do we do it? Number two we're going to see how we get it. Now, that may surprise you this morning. You might have been thinking, wait a minute, I thought Christians believe, they don't believe in greatness, like it's humility, right? Well, we're going to see that's a false contrast this morning. Jesus wants you to be great. In fact, he wants you to understand your greatness more than you actually know it right now sitting in here today. We're going to conclude it by saying this. There is a reward in acquiring greatness according to how Jesus defines it. And I want to show you that reward. You want in on that? So let's jump in here. So the first thing is, uh, why do we pursue it? And so let's look at verses 33 and 34. Essentially, we're going verse by verse. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, uh, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. 
For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So Jesus is uh, nearing the Sea of Galilee, then Capernaum it says, and Jesus is eavesdropping probably. And so, you know, he's typical listening in on what they're saying. He's like, aha, we have a teachable moment here. And so he asks a question that he already knows the answer to, right? And they are embarrassed. They can't answer. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you're caught with your words or something either written or, or audible? You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just went there. So for me, one of the first things I thought about was right when we got married 23 years ago, uh, we were visiting one of uh, Kirsten's family members and we were having some friction with them, some contentiousness sort of thing like that. And uh, we didn't fully work it out in person. And so we got back and we're, there's some email exchange back and forth. And so it's my email, it's Kirsten's email, and this family member's email. And I've had it, like I'm feeling pretty snarky that day. And so I reply back to Kirsten. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. I replied back to who I thought was just Kirsten and said family member responds back by saying, oh, that's how you think of me. Woo! Ate a banquet feast of crow that day. Um, and, uh, man, I like just sitting here talking about it, I, I can feel my heart racing and think about, man, what happened 23 years ago? Like, it's, it's there. It's for me thinking about it. Yeah, I asked for forgiveness and all was relatively well. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but we've all been there, right? We've all been to the sin. And so, but here's, I'm going to make it even worse for the disciples, okay? Because we did read verses 30 through 32, but right before this, it says that Jesus, for one of the four times in Mark's gospel, one of the four times where he says, let me tell you what kind of Messiah I am, I'm going to the cross. I'm on my way to Jerusalem, I'm going to the cross, and it says that the disciples remained silent because they, didn't, they couldn't put up with this again. They're like, I, we don't get you, Jesus. This is kind of how they're thinking right there. And so literally, verses 31, 32, this is the kind of Messiah that I am. These are the kind of people that follow me. And then what do we see in verse 33? Who among us is the greatest? Mark loves irony. Mark loves juxtaposition. We're, we're supposed to see that juxtaposition here. Just how embarrassing is it, right? And so let me, let me tell you two reasons why we're a lot like the disciples. Not a lot like. We are the disciples, okay? Number one, why do we pursue greatness? Because we're made for it. Now, <laughs> you thought I was going to go straight to, oh gosh, here's the problem, right? The disciples, no, no, no. no. Let's not pass go and collect our $200 yet. Let, let's make sure first that we understand why it is, how we're made for it. How many of you, when you were kids, were excited to be mediocre in your life? Right? How many of you dreamed, right? It's like, I want an office job in a cubicle from 9 to 5. Right? Sorry if that's you, right? <laughs> right? Uh, Post-COVID, though, none of us are like that, right? right? We're, we're, not, we're working at home, right? 9 to 5, no. But, 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 you know, none of us, like, what do we want as kids? I want to be an astronaut. Like, I want to be a professional soccer player. That didn't get me very far. But I wanted to be a professional soccer player. Like, we have these dreams. You're, if you're a parent... You remember the dreams of your children, right? It, they weren't mediocre dreams, by and large. We're made for that. This past weekend, uh, Camille, myself, and Kirsten, we went and saw Mission Impossible Part 7. By the way, like, I look at like Tom Cruise and say, how is that possible for you to look that way? Uh, on your seventh one. 
right? I mean, Harrison Ford, after just five, look how old he looked in Indiana Jones. But, but Mission Impossible, my gosh. And so I said, Camille, how old is this guy? I look him up, and he's 61 years old. I'm like, that is not possible, right? But, but you know, if you've seen Mission Impossible, the franchise, or any of the other Marvel comics, DC comics, like we get into that. Why? Because we are attracted to greatness, we love it when, when the heroes do great things, like Tom Cruise jumping off a cliff, right? That scene, by the way, I looked at a documentary about that. He did that in person six times. I'm not kidding. He jumped off a cliff in Norway six times to get that scene right. I'd be like, one time was enough, right? You guys get that? I'm not doing this again with a base parachute jump, but uh, that's Tom Cruise for you. I digress. Uh, where are we? So, we're looking at the fact is we are drawn to greatness. Whether it's in ourselves or other people, we want to see that sort of thing. We're not addicted to mediocrity. And if you still don't believe me that Jesus wants you to be great, what did the scripture say? Genesis 1, 26 and 27, what does it say? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Oh my gosh, there's a creation story of mediocrity. Not. Every creation story, by the way, has a storyline about the greatness of the gods, but the diminishment of people, except for this one. This is the only one that says, no, human beings are great second only to the God who threw the stars into the sky. Then listen to what Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 6 says, echoing this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. There's greatness. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. You know what's so remarkable? about this, this echo of Genesis 1. He says, look at the starry skies. Here's a picture of the starry skies. Like, of course, we don't see this in Atlanta. Like, you think there's three stars in the skies if you're in the city of Atlanta, right? I had no idea there was a Milky Way until I was in college. And I was in the wilds of West Virginia. I was like, what is that up there? You know? Oh, that's what it normally looks like, you know, if it wasn't for light pollution, right? And so, and somebody's saying, that's how amazing. Look at greatness there. He says, but it pales in comparison to this. No, the next one. Yeah. That's what Psalmody is saying there. If you want to see greatness in the world, it's right there. It's in your children. It's in you. We are not made for mediocrity. We're made for great things. Because we are great people. And so it is easy as Christians to trash this pursuit of greatness because we've seen the evil and the injustice. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't do it. Sin is always an aberration of a good thing. Hear me on that? It's always an aberration. It's always a warpedness. It's always a distortion of a really good thing. And that includes greatness as well. So why do we pursue it? Because we're made for it. But second, why do we pursue it? Because we're selfish. This is the warpness. This is the ego in particular. 
Martin Luther, and he got it, by the way, from Augustine. But Martin Luther was the one who kind of made it more famous. He used this Latin phrase, incurvitus in se. Incurvitus in se. Humanity curved inward upon itself. It's the definition in Latin for selfishness. Or what we might say in more modern terms, narcissism. Right? There's a word that we hear a lot about increasingly. Narcissism. Narcissism is, is when no one else exists but you. The, the world is, is curved in. You're like a gravitational force where everything is being sucked into you. Now the reality is, right, all of us have at least a smidgen of this inside of ourselves, myself included. There have been times in our marriage, and times in my, my parenting when, when I can see, no one else exists but me. Like I'm so selfish, I'm so self-centered. I can see that. There are plenty of times where I'm like, oh my gosh, like Kirsten's thinking a lot more about me than I am her right now. Right? Or, or not thinking about the needs of my children and so forth. Like all of us have at least a tinge. You don't have to be in the DSM, the, the Diagnostical Statistical Manual, right? For those of you who are psychologists and counselors. Like you don't have to be diagnosable, right, for this to be true. We live in a narcissistic culture, do we not? Increasingly. Like uh, the, the, the people who have power and influence have 15 minutes of fame. TikTok, social media. I know it's low-hanging fruit to pick on social media, right? But it is low-hanging fruit, so I'm grabbing it. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's there, but it's not just that. It's the captains of industry. It's the politicians. It's Hollywood. It's all points in between. It's, it's easy. It's low-hanging fruit to see all the different stories out there. But you know, it's not just out there. It's in here, too. It's in the church, I was talking before the service with David, and we're talking about a documentary that just came out this summer on FX, Channel FX. It's called The Secrets of Hillsong. Now, I'm mentioning it because it's, it's public knowledge, and it's, it's a documentary out there. Normally, I wouldn't even mention another church like this, but, but, uh, but it's, it's just about the implosion. And Hillsong worship is awesome, but it's about the implosion because of sexual abuse and some other stuff going on. And in particular, New York Times, I haven't seen the documentary, but the New York Times has had a number of articles about the implosion of one of their churches in New York City. And, and, and the article pointed out a couple different reasons why uh, things went south in a herd. Because the senior pastor, a couple things that was going on. Number one, the senior pastor and staff were reserving the front row of the church for the celebrities of New York. Justin Bieber, Vanessa Hudgens, Kevin Durant, just to name a few. All right? You know, like, we think, man, I, I can't imagine a front row being reserved. You're like, well, at City Church is for pastors and families, right? That's a joke, by the way. You can sit on the front row, okay? <laughs> Please. I know how it is. You're like, I want us as far back from Scott as possible. I want you to know there's coming a day when there's the only seats available are going to be up here, and the usher's going to sit you down here with us, all right? That's a threat. That's right. Underline that. That is, that is a threat here. <laughs> But, but, the, but the second thing was, was more damning. It was the treatment of the staff. The staff culture was about glory and honor for those up front. It was about curing favor with power. And the article talked about how humiliated and demeaned so many of the staff felt by having to serve power. Not heavenly power. Earthly power. You know, no wonder so many people just like, I want to go to the exits. Like, this is why I don't go to church. That sort of thing like that. And then, you know, yeah, it's easy to use that as an excuse because there's, there's a million churches that are awesome. 
right? But my point in saying that is, like, it's not just something out there in culture. It's not just something out there in the world. It's in us. The ego, the warpness of the ego in particular. And what it leads to here is where I want to conclude the first point. Where it leads to is a paradox. That's this. The more you pursue greatness, the less you get of it. You lose your humanity. According to this definition, you lose your humanity in the process. Jim Collins is a name that you'll know. Uh, perhaps you're in the business world. And not in good to great, but in a blog post, he said this. The moment that you start to think that you're great is the moment that you're starting to go from great to good. The moment that you, that you go for it, the less you become. And we've seen that in the megalomaniacs of the world and in microversions, perhaps in your own life, in your own families. Perhaps you would say, Scott, in myself. You lose your humanity. What separates, remember this, what separates humanity from all of the rest of creation is what? The likeness of God. And yet, we can lose our humanity. How? By losing our likeness. What is that likeness? Well, Jesus now gives to us here the likeness. What does that look like? And the second thing here I want to go to, that is, how do we get greatness? Look at verse 35. And he sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now, if you really want to look at the teaching of Jesus in spades, Matthew and Luke are your two Gospels for that. Mark gives us kind of the the shortest amount of teaching. But you know where most of the teaching is? The second half of Mark's Gospel. You know why? Because we're just a few weeks away from the crucifixion. And Jesus knows it's now or never, baby. And so he sits them down in these teachable moments. And notice here, there are no, uh, you know, those miraculous signs that we've been seeing over and over again, the healings like that. Most of what you're going to see moving forward, not all, but most of what you can see forward is just Jesus with the disciples, increasingly at least. And this is one of those moments where it's a private moment of teaching. They've just blown it all over again in the pursuit of greatness. And Jesus sits them down, and in 30 seconds, he does what I'm trying to do in 30 minutes with you. He teaches. What does he say? It's right there, right? And, but I want you to see something. He doesn't grab Peter and the others by the ear, and he says, you jerks, like, and castigate them. Why in the world are you thinking about greatness right now? There's a cross to come. No, what does he say? If you want to be great. He assumes greatness. Did you see that? He assumes you're made for it, and he says, I want you to have it, disciples. City Church Eastside, 2000 years, I want you to have it. In spades. So, how do we get it then? Well, he basically says this. i got to deconstruct your Messiah. Because <laughs> the reason why, by the way, the disciples are arguing amongst themselves. They're like, alright, we know Jesus is about to crush it in around the world right now. He's, I mean, he's about to go Avenger style on everyone. That's what they're thinking, by the way. Right? <laughs> he's about to go Avenger style. Iron Man on them or something like that. And, and so, what happens? Right? Jesus is not that kind. So he's got to deconstruct their version of the Messiah because in their version, if Jesus goes all avenger on everyone, then they're going to reap the benefits. And so they're saying, okay, look, we know that we're all going to become in the constellation with Jesus in, the, in this next realm to come, but, but someone's got to be closest, right? Someone's got to sit right next to him. Who's it going to be? That's how they're defining greatness. You know? And so Jesus says, man, I've got to deconstruct your Messiah. 
Less is more. And so how? Here's the two things I want you to see. Here's how we get it. One is developing certain quality of character, and the second is a certain action that we do as a result. They're two sides of the same coin. Number one, humility. What this passage is ultimately about is humility. By the way, did you know that in the ancient world 2,000 years ago, no one considered humility a virtue. It was poo-pooed. Like it, was the, it was the furthest thing in pagan uh, ethics and morality. It was the furthest imaginable quality that you would want to embrace. Humility was humiliation. And it was the mark of slavery. And what does Jesus say here? You have to develop this character. Let me give you a definition of humility. Okay? It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. All right, this is really important. If you've never heard this before, write it down. It's not thinking less of yourself, but of yourself less. In other words, it's not saying, oh, I'm a worm. Like, like how could God possibly love me? Blah, 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 all that. You're missing it. You're missing the good news of the gospel, actually, in that. Like, so it's not, it's not thinking of yourself in that way. It's choosing, contra narcissism, to think less of yourself. Think of yourself less of the time, in other words. That's what humility is. And, and so it is to recognize your greatness. More on where that comes from in a second. But it is to recognize your greatness. And the more that you truly recognize where greatness comes from, the source of your greatness, the less you will need to make a name for yourself. I guarantee that for your life. The less you will need to, to pursue glory and honor at the expense of others. Because that's what greatness entails in the modern world today. It's actually what happened 2,000 years ago too. It's like people were, were diminished narcissism. They were ignored. It, it's nothing new in the modern world, by the way. It's been around as long as humanity's been around. Right? Selfishness, selfish ambition, that sort of thing. And so Jesus is, is getting here. You've, you've got to understand that the coin of my realm, Jesus says, the, the currency that I trade in is humility in the kingdom of God, is a very different currency from the world's currency that is looking for gold and bullion and diamonds and power and those sorts of vestiges of, of accruing a sense of self, project self. He says, no, 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 no. The currency of my realm, the only currency that is accepted to my realm, the coin, is humility. And it's instead not to be curved inward towards the self, but to be curved outward towards the nations. To bless them. Now, why is it that, that we can do that? Because we have already been blessed. I'm going to get to that here in a second, but it leads to the second thing. Remember I said there's a certain character, and it necessarily leads to a certain action. And Jesus tells us here in verses 36 and 37, this is how we conclude the passage. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, let me tell you two things about the meaning of child there, okay? Now, when we, we, we can't help it. This is just human nature. We necessarily import our understanding of children today into the culture 2,000 years ago as we read this. Now, today, I'm looking around at some of the kids in here. Kids, let me just tell you, I know you're thinking, man, where's my freedom? Like, I want more. Let me tell you, you've got it in spades better than they did 2,000 years ago. All right, believe me, like you are living the dream today, all right, compared to them. Children 2,000 years ago were at the very bottom socially in the scheme of things. Children were nuisances, 
We're going to see this in a few weeks. Dan's preaching this on children and the power and the beauty of children according to Jesus. But, but the disciples don't see it the way. You just wait and see here in a few weeks. But, but right now, what we're seeing is that Jesus takes this child, this symbol of the lowest rungs of society. Now, here's the second thing related to that. Jesus spoke Aramaic. I know we probably, you probably thought, oh, Hebrew, right? No, it was translated into Hebrew, translated into Greek, and then, of course, translated into English later on. But Jesus actually spoke Aramaic. And you know what the word is for child in Aramaic? Slave, servant. Servant and slave, two sides, they're the same thing 2,000 years ago. What Jesus is saying is, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, look to the one who's lowest. And he says two things. One is, serve them, but see them. And see, you also are that. You also, like, like I, I hate to say it, like, the reality is, most of us in here are not great by the world's definition. Even the world, like, most of us are, like, and the reality is, even if you are, you know what's going to happen about 20, 30 years after you die? Everyone's going to forget about who you are. You're like, man, this is so uplifting, Scott. So glad I came for my first Sunday here for, to hear this message. Um, but listen, that's the, that's the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. How many of you remember, like if your grandparents have passed away, how many of you spend time thinking day to day about your grandparents? Or, or maybe if you're older, it's your parents. Like, I don't know. But, but the reality is your lives don't matter to much according to this world. And so is it any wonder, if you think this world is all there is, you're going to go after as much greatness now because there's nothing to come. Like dust, ephemeral is your life. Right? And, and so what, what I, I want you to, to see with me here, what I want you to see with me is that uh, we need to put to death this desire to be more than we are. Now you say, wait a minute, Scott, I thought you just said like there's so much potential and greatness. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is to think more highly of ourselves than we actually are. Like we'll never, like, listen, if you're looking at your life and you're saying, man, I earned uh, $80,000 in my line of work, man, I, I could be earning $100,000. I've got a coworker. I know someone else, that, you know, another company, they're, they're making $100,000. Let me tell you, it's a never-ending rat race. It's a never-ending rat race. There's always going to be someone who makes more than you. There's always going to be someone who's more powerful than you. There's always going to be someone who's more talented than you, right? And you can look back at someone and say, well, I'm, I'm more talented and more gifted, but let me tell you, there's always someone ahead of you as well. And the comparison game works both ways, but especially works moving forward. Like you're always saying, oh my gosh, I could have been more than I am. It's a never-ending game that Satan wants you to play to keep you exhausted, to keep you focused on yourself as a narcissist. And Jesus says, put down that yoke. Rest. And how? Here's the key. Ready? Here's the key. The most important thing I'm going to tell you in this whole sermon. The reality is, you can hear everything I've said about what greatness is. You can say, oh, I want humility. I want to serve. But let me tell you, it's not going to happen. It's still not going to happen. You know why I know that? Because you know what happens in Luke chapter 22? The disciples who have just been taught in this teachable moment, embarrassed and then taught, you know what happens on the night before Jesus is crucified? They're having the exact same conversation. 
Literally, John 13 tells us that, that Jesus has been washing their feet. He's been massaging their feet, cleaning their feet, trying to massage the message of service and humility. And literally, you know, like hours later, they're saying, oh, one of, who, which of us is the greatest? Like they, they don't get it, right? And neither do we. Look, the reality is, if Christianity is just another way to teach morality, it's not going to work. There's something else that you need. There's something else that I need. And it's Jesus himself. Remember, Jesus is not just a prophet who says, here's some teaching. Go, go try to do it. This is what the world needs. What does Jesus do? Remember? He says, I'm going to the cross. Listen to how, what Paul says. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2, 3-8. through 8. Listen, this is, this is so good. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Okay, there's Jesus teaching. There it is. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of what? Death. Even death on a cross. And just a few verses later, he says, And it is the power of God that raised him to new life because of his humility and his obedience to the point of the cross. The only way that you and I can become the church that Jesus has designed us to be, the only way that we can become fully human, is for Jesus to have become fully human and have gone to the cross and then resurrected. Why? So that you would have resurrection power in your life. That you would have resurrection power in your life. And that's what changes you. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, I don't yet have that resurrection power in my life. Man, first of all, welcome. But number two, ask for it. We'd love to meet with you to have a conversation Ask for that resurrection power. Ask for the life of Jesus Christ to overwhelm your life. And let me tell you, what do you get? You get the rewards of greatness. The last thing I want to point out here. The rewards of greatness. Where is that? It's in verse 37. Where Jesus says, man, if you receive one of these servants here, these slaves, one of these children, right? You get me. You receive me, he said. You know what he's saying there? He's saying it's, it's not about you. But it's about relationship with me. He says, you get the very thing. Remember, in Genesis 1, we're told, you are great because you're made in the image of God. Then what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Satan comes along and says, you're second fiddle. Ah, you could have been so much more. You don't need God to be great. You could be a God yourself. What happens? We choose that pathway as we all do in the pursuit of greatness. What happens? We lose the plot. We lose in our design for greatness. We lose the designer of greatness. And what Jesus says is if you become like one of these little children, and of course only being possible because of resurrection power, trusting by faith in Him, what happens to your life? You become connected again to God. And what happens as a result of being connected to God? You get new status, you get new honor, you get new glory, and you get new reputation, which means what? It means that you can go out to the sidewalk and serve coffee, as I've watched a number of our ushers do, to a homeless woman on our street. And as I've watched a number of you do in all the different ministries of the church, serving in the prisons, serving 
um, serving the, the poor and the powerless, the least and the lost, including some of our own people who are in places of hardship and crisis. And, and, and in the process of doing that, you can put on the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And what happens as a result, it isn't just that you have a relationship with Him. But wait for it. You get joy. You get joy. Plato, roughly the same time that Jesus lived, Plato said this. Plato said, how can a man be happy when a man has to serve someone? That's not Plato, by the way. That's king. You can take that down. Plato's a little different. Oh, it's back there. Sorry. <laughs> You're like, what are you looking at, Scott? Are you one of these people that sees ghosts? Uh, sorry about that. Looking at the wrong screen. Plato said, you know what Jesus says, though? Jesus says, how can a man be happy without serving someone? He reverses what was old, now new. What's new is now old. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. The great paradox. Now, I do want you to hear Dr. King. Dr. King, you know, think about Dr. King's world for a second. Dr. King lived in a world where, where, where his people, his church congregants and others that he served and led, had very little access to power and to privilege. Very little access to the sort of jobs, for instance, that we take for granted today. But listen to what he said in a sermon in 1958 about greatness. He said, if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Isn't that beautiful? Where is greatness? It's not in your position, according to the world. It's in your position with the Heavenly Father. And as a result, it means that no matter what it is, whether you're, you're a full-time parent, whether you're, you're working in, the, in a, the hospitality industry, whether you're in a small place or in a large place, it matters not what your position is. You're in the same business, and that is to serve. To serve your customers, to serve your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, the stranger on the street. You're in the place where you get to say, I woke up today to serve my master. That's the mark of a great servant, isn't it? Someone who wakes up and they, and they say, man, today I want to make someone's life greater. You've, you've been there. You've been to the resorts. You've been to the restaurants. Where you say, man, these people love their job. They're really good. They're doing it with excellence. That's what King is saying. Ultimately, that's what Jesus is saying. And you can do it because you're great. Because you have connection. So Jesus wants to take that connection. And he wants to take, take the power of your time and your talent and your treasure. And he wants to say, I want to take that. And I want to take it as the currency and the coin of the realm. And I want to build a more beautiful world. I want more people to know who I am. I want this world to look more like the kingdom of God because that's where we are headed fully and finally one day. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son, not as, as an Avenger, a Marvel comic character who leverages power to put on a grandiose display, but he conquered death through humiliation and death. He conquered narcissism by giving up ego. He, you conquered us, Jesus, 
by giving up your life so that we would acquire one. Thank you for reconnection. Thank you that we are remembered, reconnected back to the one who swung the stars into the sky, the one who dropped the image and likeness into us. So may we look more human. May we look more more godly. May we look more like you, Jesus, fully God, fully man, for always. May this echo into our lives and then echo into eternity. We pray this in the name of Jesus, Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. And now we take some time to respond to God's word through confession. And, and typically, a great place to start with confession are the two places that Scott talked about. One is, where, where selfishly have you pursued your own greatness? Not greatness received, but pursued by you in a way that's maybe different than what God's calling. And then two, where have you struggled to own your greatness, to believe who God calls you? Take a moment now. And let's, let's don't do like the disciples, right? 